Well, hello again, and welcome to another episode of the Hyperion Adventures Podcast. I'm Tom. As always, I'm with my gorgeous, beautiful, <laughs> intelligent, wow. Star Wars-loving <laughs> wife, Michelle. Hi, everybody. Thank you, baby. So good to have you with us. We are actually recording this episode on Saturday, December 14th, 2019. Michelle, tell them why we're recording this on a Saturday. Well, first of all, wow, it's weird recording it on a different day. You get yeah. so used to something, huh? Um, but we're recording it today because tomorrow, when we would normally be recording this, we will be flying to the Walt Disney World Resort. Yes, we're so excited. Yes, whenever this uh, episode drops on Sunday the 15th, we will actually be heading to the Walt Disney World Resort. We'll probably be on an an airplane at the time. Yes. uh, Just kind of letting you know what's going on here and why we're recording earlier. But uh, we really appreciate that you joined us today and we hope you're going to join us. We're going to be actually recording a podcast, assuming our equipment makes it, uh, (laughs) while we're at the Walt Disney World Resort. And then, of course, we will read recap our trip once it's all over. It's very exciting. Right, it is. And we have some exciting things that we're going to be participating in. And I think one of the most fun things, well, I shouldn't say the most because there are a lot of them, but um, being able to try out a brand new resort that just opened. Right. So we will be at the Riviera Resort, Disney's the Riviera Resort, uh, within a couple days after it opens. And we will actually be Assuming again, the equipment makes it, (laughs) we're recording the episode from that resort next weekend and we couldn't be more excited for that. And just all the new stuff that's happening at Walt Disney World, Rise of the Resistance, the Skyliner, which we haven't tried yet, just all sorts of new stuff. I haven't tried Very Merry Christmas Party yet. I'm excited for that. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. And you haven't seen Jingle Bell, Jingle Bam. Yes. I'm very excited to check that out as well. So much stuff, so much holiday stuff going on at the Walt Disney World Resort and we are excited to experience it all. Uh, Again, thanks for joining us today. In the future, you can find us most everywhere you get podcasts. The best place, however, to find us is on our own website, HyperionAdventuresPodcast.com. And while you're there, why don't you just go ahead and sign up for the newsletter? That's right. We really love sharing some things with everybody. And so uh, don't have any hesitations or fears of giving us your email address. We are not giving it away. We're just using it uh, so that we can send you some things with with our newsletter and other different things that come up. Right. And speaking of that, we have something coming up right now, or at least going on right now, our Hyperion Adventures Disney Hall of Fame. You can find our all-new Hyperion Adventures Disney Hall of Fame web, uh, page on our website there. And while you're there, we'd love it if you just go ahead and give a vote on our four categories. You might have a chance of winning a brand new The Rise of Skywalker poster just in time for the film. It very much ties into what we're talking about today. Yeah, and we've had so much great response of people helping us get this list to begin with, with the nominations. We know it was a difficult experience of trying to really narrow things down. We can understand that. We experienced it as well. Uh, so now that we've gotten down to the nominations, please vote. Yes, please vote. And like I said, uh, we're going to have that the Rise of Skywalker poster to give away and maybe another something or other. We'll see when it comes down to it. But you have all month long. But please vote when you get the chance. As for today, lots of stuff for you today, including we now know when Disneyland's newest parade is debuting and a Disney's Beach Club favorite spot is set to reopen. But let's get to our main topic of the week. And it's finally here. Can you believe it? We are literally just a small amount of days, a handful of days from the end of the Skywalker saga. 
Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker, and uh, I just couldn't be more excited. I know you feel the same oh, way, Michelle. Totally, I totally do. And you know, preparing for today, it was kind of like, oh, it's the end of the Star Wars Remembered series. Yeah, it's uh, you know kind of tragic, but I think it's worked out well for us. And I, yeah. I hard to believe I actually got the math right that we are counting down <laughs> these episodes per month, and then it ends up where we're doing. This one right before, literally right before the debut of the new film. But let's quickly get into it here. Yes, we are down to the last of the Skywalker films, the last of the films leading up to the Skywalker saga. So today we're going back to our Star Wars Remembered series, Episode 8, The Last Jedi. When I found you. Raw, untamed power. And beyond that, something truly special. So yes, Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi, the episode directly leading into The Rise of Skywalker, which is coming up, depending on when you're listening to this, you may it may have already debuted by the time you're <laughs> listening to this, but uh, sometime this very week, and as we always are for the Star Wars Remembered series, we're happy to welcome aboard our amazing friend, Rob LeBerry from the Jedi Temple Archives podcast, who always kind of brings the meat to these episodes. We bring all the fluff, he brings all the good facts yeah. and all the real information. Right. He brings the knowledge. Right. Exactly. <laughs> he brings the the knowledge from the Jedi Temple That's Archives. Right. Of course. Okay. Rob, 
Thanks for joining us today for the last episode of the Star Wars Remembered series. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for having me on as per usual. And with the big steak dinner I have last night, I have plenty of meat to bring to this episode. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Perfect. Glad that worked out for you. I'm glad you also had a really nice steak dinner with the family. Uh, so, yes, uh, Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. Very interesting episode in many regards. And I have a feeling, and I've been concerned about this since day one when we started Star Wars Remembered, that I might be a, on a little bit of an island between the three of us here about this episode. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out as we talk about this film. But let's get right to it. Uh, this film debuted on December 15th of 2017 and here is sort of my breakdown of the film synopsis uh, we pick up directly after the events of the force awakens star killer base may have been destroyed but that has not secured the safety of our heroes or the galaxy we find the resistance desperately fleeing from the first order in a life or death struggle to find sanctuary meanwhile ray has tracked down a long lost hero who turns out to be little bit different than she expected. Uh, she works to earn his support so she can develop her knowledge of the Force, but continues to find a connection to the dark side and maybe another former apprentice. Uh, what results is an epic struggle uh, for survival, and I mean struggle. This film was struggling throughout it. I think you'd agree, Michelle. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Rob, uh, any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, it was definitely very strugglerific, I would say. Strugglerific. <laughs> I love it. If you can say it, it's, it's a word. Brother. You guys need a code word for your next giveaway. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so let's get break down the cast here. Many of the people we saw in The Force Awakens uh, returned for this film. Of course, the trio of uh, Daisy Ridley as Ray, John Boyega as Finn, and Oscar Isaac as Poe Dameron. Again, another great Star Wars trio. I, I love all three of those characters. I, I think you'd agree, Michelle. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean... They are they. Those characters are very rich with a lot of each of them bringing so much to the table of what's their past and what their desires are. Mm -hmm. It's pretty incredible. Mm -hmm. uh, Rob, any thoughts on the trio there? No, I thought they were. I mean, again, I thought they were all really well cast within the Force Awakens. I think that they were um, excellent picks. I think they're characters that you can really kind of connect to and get behind. Um, obviously, when we get into the details of this particular movie, there's times where I, and even in the Force Awakens, there's mm -hmm. times where I feel like certain characters were really underutilized. But again, I, they're they're doing exactly what they were brought in to do, and uh, I, I'm actually looking forward to the Rise of the Resistance ride, which I'm sure you guys are going to mention at some point in the show uh, outside of this conversation, uh, because it looks like they were really well utilized in that as well. Yeah, right. it's, uh, from what I hear, although I've been trying to dodge spoilers for that uh, <laughs> uh, all week long, but uh, we'll get more into that uh, here in a little bit. So uh, on to the, uh, the first order, the bad guys are back. Adam Driver as Kylo Ren slash Ben Solo, Domhnall Gleeson as... Uh, General Hawks, Gwendolyn Christie as Captain Phasma, and Andy Serkis as Supreme Leader Snoke. Another great run of bad guys. I actually loved uh, Adam Driver's portrayal in this. He, he Again, he seems very tormented uh, at the end. You could see him going over the top, maybe you know overcompensating right. a little bit bit but i actually and again once again i think we rob you were just talking about it with characters being underutilized once again i think we saw captain phasma a little bit underutilized in this one michelle your thoughts on all this yeah i think she was underutilized although i really did like 
the way that the director made her come alive more as a as a person or as an individual you know i think just the scene where you actually see her mm -hmm. eye i thought that was really a great addition to the film because it did make her more lifelike as somebody that we would relate to you don't see her as just a, a robot right. in a shiny suit you exactly. see her as a little bit there is some sort of human being right. behind that it's kind of like a vulnerability shield of course kind of, of course yeah definitely uh rob your thoughts on the on the bad guys definitely dom Gleason and uh, general hux is one that that, that Kim and I always crack up about, you know, he just plays that super fanatical, you know, almost like a Nazi like character. And he's got some great scenes, both in the first movie and this one. Uh, and then certainly Kylo is an interesting character. I mean, there's times where he seems really imposing. There's times where he seems very in doubt of himself. And like you said, there's times where he's just completely compensating and over the top. So uh, definitely a character that's still trying to find himself. I completely agree that Captain Phasma was underutilized in both of the films and we'll like i said we'll get into that a little bit later in the show uh carrie fisher returns as general leia organa and this is um after her death and it was uh really interesting to see her back in this film she had when by the time this film had come out she had passed away it would have been almost a year at that point um it still touches my heart every time i see her on the screen uh, no matter what role she's portraying uh she's really all star wars to me in so many regards michelle your oh thoughts? yeah it's total heart yeah <laughs> you know and you know going in it was an emotional situation of wow we already know she's passed away and having to reconnect with her in in such a huge role was you know kind of a daunting situation before going into the theater mm -hmm. yeah very much so uh rob your thoughts uh, i thought you know carrie fisher i thought she was a little bit better employed in this film than she had been in force awakens uh i did not care for the scene where she gets blown out of the uh the rat off the bridge of the radis and kind of does her little mary poppins routine right. through space <laughs> i just i visually i didn't like it but you know overall i thought the kind of passing of the scepter of power or whatever onto Poe, which was a part of this uh, particular film, you know, was really handled pretty well. And, you know, she was kind of happy to step back and, and let him take on more of a leadership role. Mm -hmm. right. uh, agreed. Also, by the way, uh, Carrie Fisher did a lot of the, she's, she's did this throughout her three years and many times it's uncredited. She was uh, script doctoring a lot of films and she kind of helped write some of the parts of this film. She kind of helped Ryan John and with some of the script, one of the great things about Carrie Fisher that was she was so great. Not only was she a great actress, uh, but she was a really, really wonderful writer and didn't always need to take credit for it. Right. I mean, I I also see that in other successful movies. You know, when you look at Harry Potter, for example, and how they really did listen to the actors, especially as the series went on. Mm -hmm. I mean, because these people were very much invested in that character and the thought process and and what it took for them to get into the role and I think that's a good thing in a lot of times with when a director can do that mm -hmm. you know and it shows with Carrie Fisher uh, I agree with Rob about that one scene I think that's probably the most critical scene that a lot of people would have um, or critique he may not have done as much with Luke though mm. but 
which we'll I, see. Well, speaking of Luke, let's get right into <laughs> Luke here. Mark Hamill does return as Luke Skywalker, and he actually does get to speak in this film many times, right? And plays a crucial role. And part of what many people, you know, who didn't like this film will critique is they felt like his portrayal was not accurate to what they felt uh, Luke Skywalker was. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, but uh, I, I'm interested to hear what uh, both of you think. Michelle, what do you think about his portrayal? I think it had both spectrums. So I do think there were times that he was very much what we've come to know as Luke Skywalker. I mean, I do think, especially as the movie went on, he he became more that. I do believe the beginning was a departure that was maybe too much of a gap for me, at least personally, of how he would have reacted and responded and handled situations. But the, again, that's just my critique of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Rob, I know you have to have thoughts on Luke's portrayal in this. Well, you know, surprisingly, maybe for some, I didn't have as big an issue with Luke and kind of where he was at in this film um, as other people did, especially when you take into context the fact that, you know, he, the last time you see him within uh, Return of the Jedi, you know, he's he's been victorious in terms of redeeming his father and uh, supposedly killing Palpatine and kind of helping the, the Rebel Alliance win over the Galactic empire and there were a lot of stories in the expanded universe which are now no longer canon but you kind of got to see him proceed from there and he wasn't always you know completely optimistic within the expanded universe for sure but when you look at kind of what brought him to the point that we find him in the last jedi with trying to start up a new jedi academy and basically having one of his students fall to the dark side and having that student be the son of his best friend and his sister you know you could see where self-doubt and being jaded about kind of how the universe was working and you could kind of understand why he got to where he was at. The problem that I had, and it was kind of along the lines of what Michelle was saying was one of my very favorite scenes in the force awakens is when Ray gets to Octo and gets to the top of that mountain and, and finds Luke and stretches out the saber to him. And I thought that was an incredibly powerful moment. And for him to just take the saber and chuck it over his shoulder, I thought was just a cheap attempt by Ryan Johnson to get a laugh in a situation that really didn't warrant a laugh. Um, he could have, you know, gotten the same point across by having him just drop the saber and walk away or hand it back to her and walk away. Um, and we'll kind of get to this as we go through this particular review, which is that with how Star Wars has always done a really wonderful job of incorporating humor into the movies. And it has always been done in a way where it's just kind of tongue in cheek and off the cuff and it cuts the tension in certain situations, but it's done in a unforced and kind of natural way. And the humor in this particular film just felt really forced to me and not always a good fit for the scenes in which it was used. So that was a big part of some of the issues that I have with the film. But in terms of Luke, I mean, I can kind of understand why he got to where we find him. I think the problem with a lot of fans is just that to have seen him the last time as a victorious young Jedi who was so optimistic and had such faith in the fact that his father could be redeemed to get to the point where he didn't believe that Ben Solo could be redeemed and that he had to withdraw from the universe as though that was somehow going to stop evil from existing uh, was probably too big a jump in his character for a lot of people to really wrap their heads around. Mm-hmm. Right. Totally understand that. You know, I, I actually f- uh, feel, and I, I think Luke's portrayal was completely accurate to who he would have been under the circumstances, knowing 
what we saw of him during the original trilogy. I, I liked the portrayal. And I'll say even more that I liked Mark Hamill's portrayal of Luke Skywalker. I think it was one of the best acting jobs that I've seen Mark Hamill do, especially as Luke Skywalker. I thought he was completely believable in the part uh, throughout the film. I don't know what you thought, Michelle. Yeah, I mean, I, I do believe that he... I mean, I believed his character. I believed he did a great acting job. I Like Rob just said, I, I think some of the, the little things that they wrote in for him to do seemed out of place, but not overall that his character was out of character. Mm -hmm. You know, just some of those scenes seemed it. I think that the gap maybe in my mind is, like we're saying, when we last saw him, feeling victorious, etc. I mean, it was because he did see the good in his father, which was a struggle because that was his enemy. And then he had to accept him as his father and then sees the good in him. And, and so to not see the good in Ben, even though Ben was had some struggles, we all see through these movies that Ben is conflicted and still has some tendencies of being drawn to the light side why wasn't Luke seeing that? And I think that's where I kind of have some challenges, why he just totally, oh, he's bad and he's, you know, abandoned. I think there's some backstory there that we need to learn more of. And I know that there's some comics coming out right now that are uh, talking a little bit about that story in between what kind of happened uh, with Ben Solo and how he, how he turned to uh, join Snoke and this and that. And maybe some of that comes out in that. But uh, there's still a lot to be told and as to how that exactly happened. Mm -hmm. So uh, we'll wait and see on that. Uh, going out through the rest of the cast. Yes, Anthony Daniels returns as C-3PO. Uh, Jonas Suatamo now takes over fully as Chewbacca from mm -hmm. Peter Mayhew at this point. Um, again, uh, both playing excellent roles, uh, even if they are small bits within it. But, uh, you know, it's just, it's not Star Wars without C-3PO, definitely, and without right. Chewbacca. And, and, and Jonas Suatamo has done just a fantastic job in taking over for Peter Mayhew. Right, yeah. I think you could tell as an actor that he um, very much respected that role and wanted to learn exactly how to carry it forward and did an outstanding job for mm -hmm. sure yeah uh rob i know you have some thoughts on that yeah i mean jonas suotamo is incredible in the sense that again it's i think acting any part where you can't see the facial expressions of the actors is very challenging and when you see Chewbacca with him in the suit versus Peter Mayhew, it's just super consistent. It's, you know, you get all the same vibes off of Chewbacca uh, with Jonas in the, in the suit. So I think that that is no small feat. I think it would have been really easy, you know, just through some subtle mannerisms to have people start to kind of question whether it was really the same character. And, and I've never had that experience with Chewbacca since he took him over. Yeah, right. right. I almost forget until I see yeah. the credits. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. This is the episode where Jonas took over completely right. from Peter Mayhew. And it was it was good that Jonas got to learn under Peter and kind of, uh, I'm, I'm sure he brought him in under his wing and, and, and taught him exactly how to be Chewbacca, you know, because again, Chewbacca is really so often the heart and soul of this group, right. just so often for this big imposing furry character to be such a lovable, lovable character. Everybody loves Chewbacca. Everybody loves Chewbacca hugs, by the way. Right. Chewbacca yes. hugs at the park are <laughs> the best hugs. 
hugs you can get. <laughs> Moving on, now we get to some new characters that came into this film. And um, I know that there's a lot brought up about these characters here. So we'll just run through them real quickly here. Kelly Marie Tran uh, appears as Rose Tico. Laura Dern, who is a classic from films for many years, is Vice Admiral Holdo. And Benicio Del Toro shows up, who is another great actor, as DJ. Uh, look, I love all three of those actors. I'm not sure that they portrayed the best roles in this part. I think Rose Tico was... I don't know if her storyline was great. I actually love Rose herself, but I don't know if the storyline that they followed with her is great. I actually like the Laura Dern storyline. I think that she was an important part of this right. film. DJ Benicio Del Toro was kind of a waste to me, although maybe something will play out in this in The Rise of Skywalker. We'll see. Michelle, your thoughts on those three? I think you stated it really well, and I would tend to agree with all of those comments. I'm more anxious to see like with the future with Rose, what she's going to bring, because I do like you said, I think that person can bring a lot to the films. So I think that's one of the things we're kind of in agreement with. Uh, Rob, your thoughts on those three? Well, obviously, we've talked about Kelly Marie Tran playing Rose Tico in, in the past. And, and the fact that the amount of vitriol that she experienced from the public for that role is completely undeserved. I mean, she was just playing the role that she was given. In her case, I think part of the issue that people have with that character is that Ryan Johnson's comment when he casted her was, well, she just didn't seem like someone who would be a part of the Star Wars universe. So that's why I wanted to have her as part of the film. So she kind of had the table set against her right from the beginning uh, in terms of not feeling like she totally fit in. And and I completely agree that the storyline that she was a part of was not the best storyline. And actually, it's part of the issue that I have with Finn as well, is that really in the first two movies, other than helping Poe escape from the Star Destroyer, he really hasn't done a whole lot. He's just kind of been there. So when it gets to things where we're talking about people that just aren't really being utilized to their full extent, I never felt like any of the big three were just kind of filler characters in any of the original trilogy films and I have had some issues with that especially in The Last Jedi but with regards to the other two characters Laura Dern character I know that her character was tied back to the Princess Leia or Leia Organa Princess of Alderaan book so there was you know kind of some fan service to that selection I had issue with the fact that they kind of supplanted some things that she did in this film that would have been a better fit for Admiral Akbar, who gets killed in this film with really no fanfare whatsoever, which seemed uh, That's to be kind of a slight, yeah. yes. slight to that character. That was unfortunate. I agree with you in that regard yeah. that uh, Admiral Akbar deserved a little better. Right. And, and in regards to the Benicio del Toro character, it just felt like it was the collector kind of jammed into another movie. Uh, so right. he's, you know, he plays his eccentric character, but he kind of plays that same eccentric character in a lot of things he does. And it didn't work for me within the context of the Star Wars film. And it didn't help that I didn't really care for that whole side story anyway. Yeah. I mean, that's part of it. I think uh, right. I had no, well, I, I can't say that I had no problem with that side story. And we'll get into that in a little bit. I just felt it needed to be edited, but we'll get to into that <laughs> in, in just a moment. So uh, we've already talked about it. Ryan Johnson directed. He also wrote this film. J.J. Abrams, just so you know, was the executive producer of this film for anybody who is wondering about if J.J. had any input in this. I don't know how much input he had, but he was there to see some of this stuff. So whatever you think about it, yes, Michelle, there was some money involved with that, I'm sure. That's <laughs> part. Anyone who is an executive producer is, is tabbed on a lot of times to, to get some money out of the right. film, for sure, of course. Sure. <laughs> Let's get to the key scenes. Again, this is right after the events of The Force Awakens. So the First Order has found 
the base where the resistance are. They're bombing that base, so they're trying to desperately exit that. They just get out in time. Meanwhile, uh, Poe Dameron is trying to kind of lead this group away, kind of distract them so this band of resistance, which is not very big, by the way, can kind of get away. And so we see him attacking, essentially, what is uh, this giant ship called a Dreadnought. Michelle, any thoughts on that scene? Right. I mean, I think uh, it had the comedy in there. It had the tension, for sure. It was, you know, what you would kind of think as a classic situation, trying to destroy it and kind of getting down to the final, you know, bomber thing to destroy. Uh, I liked that it did bring some heart that you had these ships out there, but there were people and even Rose's sister was in there and, and how you, you know, had that connection. I also thought it was in a lot of parts of that scene, like with some of the other movies, kind of a World War II kind of situation that you'd see in, in some filmage from World War II. So I think it tied in a heck of a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rob, your thoughts on that scene? Yeah, I'm going to preface this before we even get into all this stuff that just so people understand, uh, this is just my opinion of things. And I'm not the type of person who's sitting around at home trying to plot the demise of the people who put this movie together. But for me, I mean, I, first and foremost, I thought that they made a big mistake in having this film pick up right from the end of Force Awakens. With all the previous Star Wars films, there's been a gap in time, you know, a year, two years, whatever, where the characters have had a chance to breathe. So if they were doing something that was maybe more advanced than what we'd seen them do before, you could at least say, well, you know, Luke pulling the lightsaber out of the snow and Empire Strikes Back. Well, he's had a couple of years to kind of work on his connection to the force and might have developed that ability. So I think they kind of put themselves in a tough situation where, you know, we see some new things out of Kylo in this episode and people say, well, you know, he was going to complete his training when Snoke said to bring him to me, but it's only been a couple of days. I mean, what could he have really accomplished? So the main issue that I had with the beginning of the film, um, it was definitely funny and it was definitely, you know, suspenseful just to start things off. But I thought that with kind of the way they they had it play out, you've still got two huge First Order capital ships. And there was hardly any TIE fighters deployed against this big threat to the Dreadnought. So it just kind of didn't work for me logically, I guess. I, I know there's people who like freak out about the bombs and how do they fall in space. And I never cared so much about that. We ignore sounds in space in Star Wars, right? So <laughs> that was never an issue. But, and this is kind of a recurring theme for me throughout the movie. We've got Star Wars. It's this universe that has these established rules and, you know, they're different than what we have, but there is uh, certain things that when they don't ring true in a movie, it feels out of place considering this universe that we've kind of got in front of us. Right. And there were a lot of times where they were kind of ignoring those rules or breaking those rules, and there was no explanation for it. So I do think that there's certain things that I maybe didn't like about The Last Jedi that depending on how things play out in the last movie, it may provide context, and I may not have a problem with them after that. So I'm interested to see if that actually turns out to be the case. It's going to be one of my main points later on, yeah. Right. And, you know, I I think I'm jumping ahead with this concept that I'm going to kind of tag on to Rob's comments there. And this is more like what I was thinking to say at the end, like as a summary. If I look at this film as this film and only this film, I really liked it a lot. And I really think there was a lot of great things about it. But kind of like with what Rob was just saying, it's not its film alone. It's 
a continuation of something that we have been following for a long time now. And so it did seem to feel disjointed. And I think that's where, if I'm looking at it as episode eight, I have problems with it. If I look at it as, hey, here's a Star Wars film and there's no other Star Wars films out there, there's a lot of great things about it. Mm-hmm. I think that's an excellent point. Yeah, uh, and I agree with you. And, you know, I think part of this, and Rob, you already led into it, and I was going to bring this up later, but uh, just the way that we feel about The Empire Strikes Back, if The Return of the Jedi doesn't work out the way it does, if it doesn't tie up the things that needed to be tied up, we may feel differently about Empire Strikes Back. A lot of the way we end up eventually feeling about The Last Jedi is going to happen on what happens with The Rise of Skywalker. I mean, that's just, I, I, I think the bottom line is, mm-hmm. how is this film portrayed in the middle of this group? I think that a lot of the way we feel about the attack of the clones is the fact that it didn't kind of fit in within that storyline in the first three. You know, I mean, there were some right. o- obvious problems with that film. But also, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't think Revenge of the Sith, while it's a great film on its own, I don't think that middle film needed to be the way it was. It didn't tie the things together. Right. And where The Last Jedi, we'll see if it ends up tying is that middle crux part that needs to tie the bookend films right. together. We'll right. see about that. So... Oh, by the way, Rob, you talked about the bombs that, you know, don't drop in space. And yes, again, you know, suspension of disbelief or whatever Star Wars. I will mention that uh, if you go to Wikipedia, that if you look at those bombers and whether it was Lucasfilm retconning it or what, they do say that those bombs are magnetic. So they will be pulled towards a magnetic source at the bottom. Uh, as far as deploying the TIE fighters, I agree with you. There probably were not enough TIE fighters in there. But that was also the uh, the captain of the Dreadnought's problem. Is like, why are we just letting this guy you know, fly right. around? Right. Why are we not deploying the garrison, uh, as you like to say, Rob, out to go get them? So you know, a lot of that stuff was happening. Uh, One quick that. question for, for this chunk of the movie that we're talking about. Does this extend to Kylo and the TIEs attacking the resistance ships, or is that a chunk that we're going to discuss later? We'll get to that in just a second. Let's get to, because we flash forward to Octo, and this is where we pick up again, right from uh, the end of The Force Awakens, directly from the end of The Force Awakens, where Ray's there handing the lightsaber to Luke. And we've already discussed this slightly. Luke reaches out, grabs the lightsaber, looks at it. You know, by the way, interesting factoid, if you look at his hand, his mechanical hand, you can still see the blaster mark where he was hit on the skiff in Return of the Jedi. Oh, wow. It's uh, just an interesting little uh, tidbit there. And I agree with both of you in the fact that the way he, and I, I, I would like to believe Ryan Johnson, if he had thought about it over again, he would have done it differently. The nonchalant throw was the wrong way to right. approach it. I understand what he was trying to accomplish there, but if he had thrown it down almost the way he did in uh, Return of the Jedi, when he just threw away his lightsaber at the end in right. front of the Emperor, or if he had handed it back, like you said, Rob, or done something, or just dropped it differently, I think it would have been seen in a little better light. Michelle, your thoughts? Yeah, I totally agree. I think it was a chunk of the film that was very distracting. Let's just say that. It wasn't something that seemed real. And I agree with you that understanding what the intent was, you know, and like what Rob said about trying to put in some comedy at that moment, it didn't, it fell short of that by far. And 
I guess we're saying the same thing over mm-hmm. and over. I know, Rob, you've already <laughs> talked about it. Rob, you already talked about it a little bit, but I don't know if you want to reference anything else with that. Uh, well, I mean, again, just going back to what we said about comedy, right? We know that good comedy is really about timing, and, and this was just one of those things where it wasn't the right thing at the right time to get a laugh. And I've heard people make the argument that, you know, a lot of times when we get disappointed by a film, it's because we have these overinflated expectations that we've built up in ourselves for how the storyline's supposed to go. And I completely understand that. But within that scene, the way that it was presented at the end of The Force Awakens, as she reaches out and she's got this pleading look on her face for him to train her, and he is looking at that lightsaber with just emotions pouring across his face, you know, how did you get that? And it was such a powerful scene. And to see it reduced to a cheap joke, I get that that was partially because of my expectations for that scene, but those expectations were set in place by the way that that was presented at the end of The Force Awakens. And I think that's, it's just kind of one of those things where not only does it not deliver on what seems to be a promise from the previous film, but it just kind of mocks it. And so that's kind of why I had such strong feelings about that scene. Mm -hmm. And I I don't disagree with that. I wasn't crazy about the way it was handled. I think that the idea, the concept behind it was understandable. I just don't think, I think it could have been done in a better way. So obviously, uh, Ray's doesn't understand what's going on. She's pleading with him. Like, look, I need a teacher. You know, you're the guy and everything. And Luke, you could just tell, just wants no part of this. He's trying to stay away from this as much as possible possible tries to run away tries to actually uh, frustrate her in many ways confuse her acting like a, a sort of an uh, odd bird who is very eccentric and right. doing all these things I think more to put her off in any way he wants her to leave essentially Michelle yeah I think you described it well which again I think you could or you may not believe in that would be how Luke would have been reacting at that time I could argue both sides if I was on a debate team and I had some other thoughts in relation to Yoda being present in this. So I I don't know if this is the time. We'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, Rob, any thoughts on all that? Again, this particular portion of the film, I didn't really have any issue with. If you're going to take the standpoint that Luke has just kind of withdrawn himself from the universe and he feels like he's doing more harm than good in the sense that he was trying to train this new generation of Jedi and failed and uh, has created a problem as opposed to creating this group of peacekeepers for the galaxy, then kind of the way he was going about trying to put her off and trying to get her to go away would be believable if I know that there's a lot of people that don't like the thalassiren uh, scene where he's milking the thalassiren and drinking the milk which I can totally get, but I guess if he's trying to be off-putting, that would be a, a, yeah. a stellar way to do right. it. That was my impression of the whole thing, is yeah. he just wants to try right. and turn her away. Like, look, this is I'm not who you think I am. Right. Go away. I'm not sure why he had to pole vault over that that uh, <laughs> chasm, though, because, I mean, he ends up sparing the fish in the same spot either way. But I know it was kind of a, a visually just kind of a... The thing that I hear about this film all the time, it's visually stunning. Mm -hmm. I won't argue with that. There's a lot of very visually stunning things in the film. But for me, Star Wars films always start with the story and the music. But for me, if if the core story isn't good, that detracts from the enjoyment of the film. And that was kind of how I felt here. The the visuals and and the music weren't enough to make up for what I felt was kind of a lazy story. Mm, right. I think that the story was purposefully disjointed. And I think that there was reason behind that. And I think that goes to a, a lot of our different characters, storylines within this individually. And that's, I think all these different characters within this film have kind of been doing things individually throughout their lives. 
and they needed these things to come together to kind of, and mainly I'm talking about the main trio here, these things mm-hmm. to come together to kind of bring them together as a team and they, instead of doing individual things. Ray is trying to find herself. She's out trying to find her place within the universe. Finn is always on the run now from the First Order. That's all he wants to do is get away because he's kind of frightened. Poe is doing his own thing as a ace fighter pilot, you know, when... Obviously, Leia uh, want to see him take more of that leadership role, not just be on his own doing his own thing. And a lot of that ties together at the end, the spark that will light the fire of the resistance that, w- that will burn the First Order. You see them united. I'm, I'm jumping ahead, but you see them united at the end. And that is kind of the thing that I think this movie was trying to portray. Yeah, I guess I can see that a little bit. I feel like Ray didn't necessarily want to be off on her own. I think in The Force Awakens, she was very disappointed with the thought of Finn leaving. I'm not saying she wanted to be off on her own, but she wanted to find her place within the universe. She thought it being with Luke, so she had to go to this very distant world that is way out in the unknown regions, you know, Mm -hmm. to find Luke. Uh, She is purposely out there. She does not necessarily want to be alone, but that's the way her story arc is taking her. It's disjointed away from everybody else's storyline because of the fact that she wants to find her place within the universe. I, I think that there's a lot of validity to that. I think that, you know, Maz refers to it within The Force Awakens by saying the belonging you're looking for is not behind you, it's ahead. Right. So, you know, that is a direct reference to that. And I do agree that this movie, um, I'm of two minds about it. I think that for a movie that was the longest film in the Star Wars franchise, it accomplished far less than I had hoped it would, mm-hmm. uh, especially when you compare it to a movie like the Infinity War, right? Where it was two and a half hours long, but every minute of that film had purpose. And and this goes to the point that I know Tom and I have talked about uh, where Tom, you know, feels like this could have been a better film had it been edited a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But, you know, within this particular film, I do think that they were trying to move some of these characters along. I just really had hoped that they were going to do more with them, especially because it was going to be a big enough ask for the resistance to have a, a way to deal with the first order within the final film. And now we know that Palpatine and a resurgent galactic empire is potentially a part of that. I would have hoped that this film would have moved the characters in the situation along quite a bit further than it would so that they had an easier opportunity to resolve all that within a final film. And I guess we'll just, it's going to be uh, just wait and see to determine if they're able to wrap this story up in a satisfying way within the rise of Skywalker. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, here's the thing with it. To me, again, uh, Ray realizes where she needs to be at the end of this film. Finn finally is the hero. Try be, takes on the role of the hero rather than trying to run. He is trying to actually, you know, make things happen and decide to right. be with this group. And Poe finally becomes the leader they want him to be at the end of it. And they all went in these weaving storylines apart from one another to kind of lead them back together. And that's just my impression of mm-hmm. it personally. Everybody right. has their own impression mm-hmm. of these films. It's 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 like anything else. It, you know, a, a film is a piece of art. Everybody has their own impression of it. That was my impression of right. it. Right. No, and I and I totally get what you're saying too. I don't disagree with it. Sorry, I we, I jumped way ahead. Let's get <laughs> back to the the scenes that we were talking about here. I I, I want Rob to talk about this scene right here because obviously first of all they jumped through hyperspace the resistance here they get away they or they thought they got away only to find out that no uh, the first order actually can track through hyperspace something that was by the way was kind of referred to within rogue one a little bit just a little quick reference 
just a kind of throwaway reference that if you go back and watch Rogue One, it's just kind of alluded to it within it. Something that has not been known that it can been done before. So they were so completely surprised by this. And uh, they've realized, that, hey, we're not going to be able to get away. We only have so much fuel. We can only jump so many times. So, but Rob, you were talking about this just a second ago. Uh, the scene where Ben Solo, or Kylo Ren, is in his starfighter going out there and has the chance to make the critical blast that could have ended his mother, of course, Leia Organa. Interesting scene. I think you'd agree, Rob. Yeah, I mean, so this this is one of those places where context matters in terms of what you're seeing on the screen and being able to justify it. And I guess the example I will give is uh, within the original Star Wars film, A New Hope, when they escape from the Death Star, you know the Death Star has thousands of, of TIE fighters um, stationed on it. And so the Millennium Falcon escapes from the Death Star and a handful of TIE fighters are sent after them and, and they're actually able to defeat them and make their escape. But even they realize it was too easy. And then we also get the context of Tarkin telling Vader, you know, I'm taking an awful risk, Vader. You're sure that, you know, the tracking beacons aboard the ship. So it was just kind of like a token gesture to try to quote unquote chase them to make their escape feel more believable to them. In this particular film, you've still got multiple destroyers at this point chasing the rebel fleet, and that number keeps growing up until we get to the big Laura Dern moment, but you've got thousands of TIE fighters on those ships, and instead of deploying them en masse against this rebel fleet that's trying to escape and that they're clearly trying to catch, it's Kylo Ren and two TIEs that go after them. We know that the Resistance basically has no starfighter screen to even fight them off, and so it's I have an issue with the whole space chase on there's like a million things wrong with that that make it not work at all for me. Keep You get these new Star Destroyers that keep joining this group that's chasing the Resistance, but they can't jump anyone ahead of them to cut them off. So that whole part of the movie I just felt like was just lazy for me personally. It just made it very unbelievable. Yeah, I can see the plot hole there. I never yeah. really thought about it. I can see the plot hole for sure. I just have just put it back and just said, you know, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy what's happening here and just go along for the ride. Right. And yeah, and I have to say this. I wanted to love this movie so much. Mm-hmm. I was happy with The Force Awakens. I felt like it left things in a good spot. I was excited. I thought they were doing something special within the sequel trilogy. And then this one, again, it goes back to what you said, uh, suspension of disbelief, right? And that works up until a point. But when it gets to the point where there's just so many glaring problems, you can't kind of just ignore them and justify them all away that's when i start struggling with the film and that's kind of where i ran into with this one gotcha yeah understood understood so uh moving on once we find out about this this tracking finn freaks out tries to run away and only to be discovered by rose who at first was praising him then realizes he's running away she had just lost her sister she was upset and uh you know takes him down and just an interesting debut for rose within the film right yeah like you said an interesting debut maybe somewhat parallel to how we were introduced to finn Mm -hmm. in the force awakens you know kind of a a similar type of situation like oh really mm-hmm. now, rob any thoughts on that yeah i i didn't have any issue with rose i mean she was clearly sitting there guarding guarding the escape pods and you know finn is is trying to make his escape and she kind of had the the hero worship moment but then realized that he was running away and you know i thought that for someone who just lost her sister who had sacrificed herself for the resistance that she would be upset that someone was trying to desert so again within that scene i didn't have any problem with rose's character i thought it was uh, pretty spot on right and she was specifically hurt 
hurt by the fact that she thought Finn was this hero. Right. She's been hearing, obviously, it's only been a couple days, so you know the stories aren't can be too embedded. Right. But you know the fact that he helped get them to where they were, helped destroy Star Killer Base. Uh, and then loss of her sister at the same time to be so devastated that one of her heroes was not what she thought he was going to be at that point was a little obviously tough to take. Now, again, uh, like you said, it's only been a couple of days. So how much of a hero could he have really right. been for her? But uh, at the same time, you know, if you suspend your disbelief, uh, you can buy into that. Uh, back we go to Octo. Uh, Ray's training with Luke. Luke finally gives in. He boards the uh, Millennium Falcon. In a clever use, I felt, with R2-D2 and the hologram of Leia from A New Hope. Uh, it still gets me to this day watching that. And you could tell it got to Luke. And right. he even says it's a dirty trick. Right, right? Yeah. So I thought it was an interesting, very interesting scene. Right. And that was one that I did really like. I mean, it it was great that it was reintroducing the original film, especially to new generations who are watching Star Wars now. I thought it fit perfectly. Mm-hmm. Rob, your thoughts on that scene? I absolutely love that scene. That really worked for me. And I thought it was a wonderful use of especially that hologram, that uh, just great callback to the original Star Wars film. And, and it brought Luke back, kind of woke him up because that was really the hologram that started him on his mission to assist the rebellion and, and save the princess and ultimately redeem his father. And I kind of felt like that woke some of that feeling within him in this particular film. Mm-hmm. Right. Agreed. So, he agrees finally to train Ray. Just three lessons, but he's going to do something with her. You know, you can see that there's this, she's reaching out and there's this balance between, she sees light, a balance between dark. She's kind of finding out what the force is, but then he sees her willingly going towards the dark side, which we've discussed in the past that Ray has not been afraid to kind of brush Mm-hmm. with the dark side and is that part of who she is and you know it frightens him he, he's seen that he said with he said it only once before i believe he's referencing ben solo mm-hmm. kylo ren of course but it does frighten him because again he's already afraid to be doing this as a teacher and uh, he sees already ray kind of falling into that same right, form right. michelle yeah no i agree with you i i think that it does tie in with the storyline where he's now seeing a part of her or her character that is something that he's now been for a while or trying to escape from mm-hmm. uh, rob any thoughts on the the training between luke and ray there i didn't have any issue with the way that he was approaching the training i mean again he's coming from the standpoint of trying to explain to her why the jedi need to end and she is clearly still of the belief that they can do good in the galaxy and you know it's interesting as she's sitting kind of on that edge of the basin that is within the cave that leads out to that you know mountainside outcrop the mosaic tile work of the prime jedi is very much a yin yang type thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's very much showing that even within a being that is very good, there's a kernel of evil and vice versa, which is really what a lot of Star Wars is about anyway. So I like the tie back for that. I, I liked some of the lessons he was trying to teach her, although from my standpoint, you could see the flaws in his logic. And we'll get to that a little bit more l- later with the Yoda scene. And during this portion of the film, the comedy with the caretakers for the island, I thought worked really well. Mm-hmm. So again, yeah. there's nothing in this film that I thought was all bad. There were definitely times where things worked for me or I thought the comedy was timed properly and that stuff worked for me as well. It was just kind of the overall 
small impact is kind of what I've had to deal with. Right. I will say that since we just talked about the comedy a little bit, I had very little problem with most of the comedy in this film. I thought the porgs were got a little bit over right. the top. You know, I mean, a little porg humor I was okay with. Right. They were a little too much of it for me. I like the porgs, but they were used too often for me right. personally. Right. That was right. the only real issue I had with much of the humor throughout it, but most of it I was okay with. So mm-hmm. uh, we shift from there and then we get to the scene that probably the most people are outside of the uh, flying Leia, which we never talked about, by the way. Let's go back just for a second to the flying Leia through <laughs> space, okay? <laughs> Kylo Ren obviously was looking at one point like he was going to blast his mother away. Then at that last second, he pulls away from it. You know, a little bit of still softness we see within Ben Solo slash Kylo Ren, another uh, TIE fighter, ends up blowing her out to space. Now, this was interesting originally when we first saw this film because we knew that Carrie Fisher had passed away the year prior. And we didn't know if she was going to die within this film. Right. It looked like that was going to be the moment. Right. And then she does the reach and, you know, I would not crazy about that scene. Although I do wonder if this had been Luke or somebody who know who uses the force or whatever, if you might be seen in a different light, the fact that it was, uh, yeah. shocking right. because of the fact that you didn't know that Leia had that ability played a part in that, but I wasn't crazy about that scene either. Right. So just right. to put that out there. So I don't know what to feel about that scene, but I will justify in my mind is like, look, we don't know. She may have been already doing some training as a Jedi then stopped it at some point. So maybe that was part of it. But uh, I, I don't know. I know you guys don't agree with that scene. You don't like it that much. I'm not crazy about it, but I was willing to tolerate it. I mean, yeah, I, I, totally the same thing that you're saying. I, and maybe she did, but it just seemed, again, disjointed. That was her one time that she's going to use the force. And and nothing else of what they're going through comes up, you mm-hmm. know, or even when they're in the cave or whatever you want to call it at the end. I mean, again, it was like, oh, she had a flash of an opportunity and then she never had an opportunity again. That didn't seem to gel with the story. Yeah. And I, like I said, I wasn't crazy about the scene, like, but I'm just, I can think if it's a different character that you know has the, some ability going in, if you might have thought about it a little differently, but I just thought it was a little hokey. I'm just um, saying it, it, just having her having that skill. Right. And only that skill and only at that moment right. seemed. Although we don't know that she doesn't have that skill at other moments. But yeah, that's the problem though, right? The con- yeah. It goes back to the context. Thing. Right. It's, it's, yeah. There's been 30 plus years that have gone by since we last saw our core group of heroes. And who knows what, you know, she could have attended the school that Luke was running for the Jedi. And, and I know even within the expanded universe, she had done some Jedi training. She had some Jedi skills. So there would be a basis for that. But there's no way that the viewer is informed on that so mm-hmm. when it does happen and like michelle said it only happens in one case in one particular situation and then it's never even something that gets addressed in the future either so and i know there were people who are like oh she can fly now and i i didn't look at it that way you know i looked at it kind of like it's no different than luke calling the lightsaber to his hand in mm-hmm. this case she's mm-hmm. trying to call the command ship to her hand and she's the smaller object so she's the one that's moving right mm-hmm. but it had no context around it and just visually I thought it just looked hokey so I think that was my primary issue with it yeah the way it was set up if it would just been like she had done it immediately rather than trying to set it up looking like an angel and this and that especially the first viewing you were expecting that she might pass away at somewhere during this film Uh, it it was kind of a it was a false lead in and that's where I think the problem was just as a quick aside I mean that is the other thing too right the big knock against Force Awakens was that it was derivative 
representative of the original Star Wars film. And I know there was a lot of pressure on Ryan Johnson in this film to not make it like The Empire Strikes Back. And interestingly enough, it still ends up with a lot of similarities. You've got the Adats attacking the rebel base. It's at the end instead of the beginning. Right. You've got your key group of characters that travel to this beautiful planet that has kind of a grimy underside to it resulting in their capture by the first order eventually you get a student that goes to a remote planet to train as a jedi but leaves to face their enemy before they've been trained and you both have a dark side cave where the quote-unquote student goes in and ends up seeing themselves so you could argue that it was still derivative of empire strikes back in a lot of ways but there were times where things weren't done for no other reason it seemed like than to have it be a misdirection or to have it be not what people are expecting based on what's been built up mm-hmm. and that there was some discord with that as well but with regard to the scene with leia it was just it was more of a visual thing in the fact that there was no context right right i completely agree completely agree so back to what i was talking about to begin with canto bite which is one of the most divisive scenes within this film and actually one that i'm not crazy about the storyline at Canto Bite. I understood it. I thought it was too long. I got the idea of what they were trying to sell on this, that look, you know, it was actually more of a political statement than really a Star Wars statement. The fact that people who invest in war, you know, they don't care who's, which side wins. They just right. want more war so they can sell more things. And this is what these people are shiny. The one portion out of it that was important, I think, and is going to be important for the Star Wars universe going further was the children that were there, and especially the one specific child who has mm-hmm. some sort of force ability to lead the future of the younglings, to lead the future of uh, what Star Wars may become, at least as far as force wielders. Michelle, thoughts? Right. Yeah, um, actually that part, of the movie too was uh, I thought a real pearl I thought it was wonderful it did give some additional hope or life to the story and again and I'm just repeating what I said much earlier on this film in and of itself is a great film it's all these other things and I think what you were saying too is very true the editing would have made it so much more believable and realistic and cut out a lot of the things that made people have challenges with. Mm-hmm. Agreed. At least that's the way I feel about it. Rob, your thoughts on Canto Bite? Well, we've talked about that, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, uh, one of the first things I didn't like about Canto Bite was the fact that Maz Kanata was such a great character mm, that was right. established with Force Awakens, such an interesting character and a character that you want to get to know more about. And I did not like the kind of hologram she's in the middle of a battle and the whole, you know, rolling at the high stakes table on Canto right. Bite and the red plum bloom. I didn't think that was a great use of the Maz Kanata character and just kind of came off hokey. But, uh, you know, she made it very clear that he was the only guy in the galaxy that was capable of doing the slicing job that was required. And, and then you end up with Benicio's character. But yeah, I mean, there was, it was more like it was put in there for a political commentary. And as Tom said, it was too long. I mean, I, I mm-hmm. think that they could have made it work a lot better if it had been a little bit more concise, but it kind of, it ended up feeling to me like he just wasn't sure what to do with this group of characters. So he kind of put them off on this side mission that really served no purpose other than to show that Finn's not on solo. He's not the guy that has all the luck and is going to beat the odds to do some crazy side mission. Yeah. Right. Uh, I agree with that. As far as the, the Maz thing, yes, Maz, we need 
more Maz. I'm hopefully there's much more Maz within the rise of Skywalker. You know, she is a force wielder, um, even though that hasn't really come forward within this film. I believe that she is, while she's not a Jedi, she even says she's not a Jedi. I know the force. Uh, She is a force wielder. I do believe that she had some intuition that, yes, she pinpointed this one guy to be the cracker, but maybe this was kind of a direction to kind of bring them to DJ, whatever you think about that whole storyline. I feel the force works in its own ways, you know, to lead people, connect people together. And I kind of felt like that was the case with this story. But either way, uh, I thought the Canto Bite uh, whole storyline was a little bit of a mess and it Mm -hmm. needed to be tied up a little bit more uh, succinctly. So, you know, they do race back. Meanwhile, Poe is realizing that they're trying to just run away or what he feels is that they're just trying to escape. They're just going to run away in these little unshielded ships away from, uh, the, the resistance ship, the, the, uh, the Radis, by the way. And mm-hmm. he has a problem with this. He feels that that is just a cowardice act by Holdo. And he also needs to take over the ship to get ready if they do crack it so he can jump it. So he has the Poe mutiny, mm-hmm. uh, for lack of a better word of it, you know, where he gets a group together. Uh, they kind of take over the bridge for a short time. Again, uh, Poe doing his own thing kind of needs to learn a lesson. And I think that this was the crux at the end of the lesson for learning what needed to happen for him. Right. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you on that. Uh, Rob, any thoughts? Yeah, I understand your point. I just, I don't think that there was any reason to cut him out of what their plan was. I mean, Holdo was kind of not sharing her plan with anyone on the ship. And I don't know that there was any particular reason not to, especially right. if he was supposedly being groomed for command, I would have thought that he would have been looped in with more of that. But, you know, you could argue that it was because of his reckless actions at the beginning of the film. I also, Leia is certainly a, a savvy general and understands what it means to fight as a vastly outnumbered combatant. So the fact that she committed all the fighters at the beginning of the film to taking out that dreadnought, if she didn't really agree with it, was kind of, you know, why would you do that? But again, that was not something that really, quote unquote, bothered me about the film. And I didn't really have a strong feeling about it one way or the other. It was just kind of, uh, you know, part of the plot that they were having play out. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Leia recovers. Uh, by the way, contacted by Luke uh, through the Force. Uh, she kind of realized that Luke was around. Luke contacted her, uh, reattached himself. He would cut himself off the, from the Force and right. kind of went back and was in, uh, important to her kind of coming back around from her coma or whatever she was in. Uh, meanwhile, uh, DJ turned on the group. They got captured. Uh, Finn, Rose, DJ, uh, he turns. It looks really bad for our heroes until... Uh, well, BB-8 comes and saves the day in an ATST. <laughs> Who knew that uh, Roly Poly or BB-8 could pilot an ATST? Right. <laughs> no. Cute. Uh, <laughs> I loved it. I love. I no, love BB-8. I, it, it, so. Yeah, I love BB-8, and it was cute. I mean, I think BB-8 had some comedy scenes early on. You know, trying to control the dike that was. <laughs> oh yeah, within a post ship. Right. Yeah. Right. You know. So. You know, I thought BB-8 brought some good humor to it. Right. Any thoughts on all that, Rob? No, I I think I love BB-8 and I love the way that they use him within the films. I thought, you know, them putting the garbage can over the top of him as they were kind of sneaking around (laughs) the Star Destroyer. And and, and he was making the same noises you'd normally hear from a mouse droid. Yeah, I thought that was hilarious. I I don't think I picked that up the first time. This time (laughs) I heard the mouse droid sounds. It cracked me up completely. Uh, Yeah. So, I mean, I I always think that, you know, BB-8, we've talked about how amazing the droids are and, and that that's always something that is really special about any star wars film and you know bb8 is just a great character so and having him take 
control of that ATST kind of with the top ripped off was pretty funny uh, too. Once we get past the holdo maneuver section, you know, section of the uh, the plot. Right. right. Well, that's uh, that's it. I didn't get to the holdo maneuver. So DJ turned. They start blasting away at these ships that are unshielded. There's nothing they could do about them. So she takes it into her own hands. Figures out the only thing she was the last one. She was ready to go down with the Radis, right. essentially. Right. Decides to turn the ship and go to light speed right through, basically turn the ship into a giant right. missile right. and uh, take out uh, the main ship, along with several other ships because of all the shrapnel that came off of it right. as it blasted through. And um, I thought it was a, an amazing visual scene. Right. And I, I actually, I, I love that scene personally. I thought, thought, thought it was, you know, I mean, she was going to sacrifice herself anyways, so it really wasn't that heroic a maneuver, but I, I it was heroic still at the same time. Right. I agree with you totally. I, I liked that scene a lot as well. And yes, even though she had committed to being the only one there and kind of sacrificing herself, this kind of did advance it. And it's like with anything in life and you think that, oh, I might get by this. And oh, maybe not. Maybe I got to do something different. And I think it was a very realistic mm-hmm. kind of approach to the problem she was faced with. Mm-hmm. Rob, your thoughts on the Holdo maneuver? Mm-hmm. Oh boy. Here we go. I felt like it breaks Star Wars. It breaks Star Wars. Why is that? I mean, so again, I'm turning a ship that's going into hyperspace into a weapon. I, uh, the way hyperspace had always worked in Star Wars before is you hit the lever and literally rip a hole through time space and jump into hyperspace. So it's not like there's a stretch of time. Like when you go into hyperspace, it's not like anything in your way is going to get torn apart at that point. I mean, planets are going to be an issue, but they didn't really have any context for why that would work. And also, I mean, so at this point, if there's going to be a, a Death Star or anything, all you have to do is take an unmanned ship and have a droid pilot it and jump to hyperspace and it'll tear the thing apart. It just, it didn't work for me at all. It was a convenient plot device. And secondly, I mean, if you are going to do that, it would have been the perfect way to send Leia out for her to sacrifice herself so the resistance could live. I thought that was a missed opportunity as well. Yeah, I can see that. Right. And I I don't disagree with you on the part that, yeah, okay, now that's, this is possibly something that, you know, you will have to deal with in the future that maybe it hadn't been thought of before that we, we you know, should use light speed as a weapon. So now it's something that maybe you need to have some sort of a defense mechanism for develop a defense for. But. I will say it was visually stunning. I mean, absolutely. And, and it's just, it's one of those things. It's like there were a lot of times in this film that I thought in the interest of doing something that looked very pretty. They just weren't careful with how it was implemented and didn't seem to fit within going all the way back to the beginning. You know, there are rules that have been established about how this universe operates as opposed to ours. And when those are just kind of tossed away with no explanation, then you start kind of questioning how everything works within that universe. That's why I did say, I mean, I will be interested to see if, if they do anything within the rise of Skywalker that adds context to things that happen within the last Jedi. And then I come back and watch it and I see things from a different viewpoint because they actually have established the reasoning or the context for why that happened or how that could happen. I'm not saying that it's completely irredeemable. I just, I like to understand why things are happening. And in a lot of cases, you know, they just did something to do it. And it didn't really make any sense within the context of the scene. Right. I mean, I agree. I questioned the ability of how that would have happened as well. Maybe just the bar that was set kind of low and wanting to like something about this film. This was something, well, okay, it involved somebody doing something heroic. It did play into saving some of the people who were struggling. So maybe that's why I kind of... It was established. To me, it was established right within 
uh, the original Star Wars within episode four that, you know, you need to plot out your plan so you don't bounce too close to a supernova or, you know, you don't run into a planet right. or whatever the case right. may be. So why couldn't a starship go? And I, I agree with you, Robin, Maybe the fact that- out of hyperspace. Either way, they were just going into it, going out of it. I mean, what's the what's really the difference there in that regard? You're still uh, going at a very rapid pace. To me personally, that's the way I felt about it. Now, I, I do agree with you, Robin, the fact that, well, this could cha- be a game changer as far as uh, trying to attack certain places. But I didn't have an issue with it per se that this could have been plausible, personally. I know how they can recover all of this. What's that? <laughs> that the next episode, Leia wakes up from a dream, and all of that <laughs> was all a dream. dream. Oh my. <laughs> it's oh gonna, they're going to have an M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, right. <laughs> you know, he's going to do a directorial cameo as, as part of the next episode. Right. right. <laughs> So let's get to another problem that Rob's going to have with this movie, and let's get to Snoke's throne room, okay? So I actually love it. I think it's visually stunning again. I have no issue with anything within it, but I know Rob has broken it down or have gone through videos and has broken it down and has some significant issues with it. Rob, please tell us all the things that are wrong with Snoke's throne room scene. I'm not going to because I will say this, that it's hard for me to especially as far as like the battle sequences, it's absolutely true that if you go back to like return of the Jedi and watch the battle on the skiff, there's some things about how that was choreographed that when you really look at them or kind of hokey, you know, Luke swinging or not hitting certain people that go flying off the skiff. And and that's mainly what the thing was with the throne room scene with Snoke. It was intended to be this big grand lightsaber battle. I know it was one of my wife's favorite scenes within the film. She just thought it was visually awesome and a fun fight. Most of the things that are issues with that particular scene, it's choreography issues. You know, you got people standing off to the side, not taking part of the fight for no reason, or, you know, Ray kicks and three people go flying, which could be used in the force, right? So yeah, it's probably overkill to sit there and tear that scene apart i know that a lot of people like it and it was definitely one of the biggest lightsaber duels that we'd seen within any of the star wars films so i'm gonna give that a pass okay thank you i enjoyed it i think it's gonna play into part of uh, what's gonna happen in the rise of skywalker i think that the team up with those two i think is gonna play a maybe i'm completely off and it's gonna go in a completely different direction with the rise of skywalker i have a big feeling that is the lead into something that's gonna happen with ray and ben solo coming up here in the next edition of the Skywalker saga, personally. Right. So. Well, if some of the scenes from the trailer do make it to the film, we see that happening. Yep. So we'll see with that. Uh, I love the question, isn't it? Right. <laughs> right. right. Oh, that's always the question. Yeah. Anyway, so obviously Ray has already departed. Luke goes and looks to burn the first Jedi temple, essentially. He runs into an old friend uh, there which by the way i just love that they brought back the yoda puppet as opposed to the cg yoda for this personally i just thought it looked fantastic now uh you know how you felt about how yoda interacted with luke in this i would love to hear your takes on that michelle first you know um my issue is less my and i feel like i'm really bashing this film and i really again want to say as a standalone film i really really like this film i think with yoda showing up and the dialogue that he had with luke i felt like it really missed that you didn't hear anything yoda was talking about with ben and i mean in the past we've heard yoda talk about darth vader and some of the concerns one might have of trying to 
deal with Darth Vader without completing training. And I just felt like here he's like, oh, okay, Ray, gone. She's got the books. Well, and he doesn't say that she has the books. Yeah, we don't. He just said that she had everything that she needed. Right, right. right. So Luke doesn't know that the books are gone from the tree. Although we do kind of see Ray at the end of the film as she's closing one of the drawers of the Falcon, you can kind of see the books all tucked away in there. But I actually love the Yoda scene. I thought it was perfectly implemented. I agree that doing the puppet Yoda was totally the way to go. Mm -hmm. And again, it goes back to what I said earlier about kind of the mindset of where Luke is at and the fact that, you know, he had all the pressure in the galaxy on him. He was the last of the Jedi Order. He was kind of charged with rebuilding the Order, which is an incredible amount of pressure to have on a person that doesn't have any kind of real Jedi support structure around him. You know, you had Yoda and Obi-Wan had their failures, but they had grown up in the Jedi Order and mm-hmm. had that support structure in place for them for most of their lives. But Luke didn't have any of that. He didn't see it as something where it was just kind of something that happened. It was a monumental failure as far as he was concerned. And for Yoda to remind him that when he told him to pass on what you have learned, he wasn't just talking about the good things. Right. Um, it was about, you know, lessons of failure and things like that. And that clearly seemed to resonate with Luke and to understand that, you know, he was being too harsh on himself and that we do learn through our failures. So I like that scene. I know that there are people that have an issue with Yoda calling down the force lightning to set the tree on fire, but it goes back to what I've said in some of the other episodes where as we have seen kind of the evolution of the force ghost or the blue glowy, I know Tom loves it when I call him that, <laughs> uh, you know, they start out at, you know, when it was initially it was just Qui-Gon's voice and the uh, clone wars. Right. And then all of a sudden Obi-Wan's able to come back and, you know, that blue glowy form and they kind of seem to be getting more and more substantial. And now all of a sudden we've got Yoda who's actually able to affect the physical world. So it makes me wonder if they are going in the direction that George Lucas had originally planned with Yoda and Obi-Wan kind of being able to have an impact on a confrontation which was supposed to be between Luke and Vader or Luke and the Emperor but we could potentially see that as part of the rise of Skywalker. I wouldn't be shocked at that at all. And I have the same thought in that regard. I also have the thought of that, you know, Luke was going through this thing and for many years, obviously anytime someone was training Jedi, they had other masters, other Jedi to discuss things with, to kind of help them along the path when they did have questions, when they did have troubles with their Padawans, with their apprentices, whatever the case may be. Uh, Luke was doing this, he was the the only one. He was it. Right. Right. And there was, he had nobody to talk to about when things were going sideways or things were, he ran into a speed bump somewhere along the way. And Yoda coming in to right. check him there at that moment was something obviously he needed. And the things that Yoda were saying to him, you know, why it waited till this point to come to that, who knows? Right. But it was an important statement for Yoda. And I, I did like that scene very much. And I thought it was very important. And I did think that another one of the ideas in this whole film is letting the past die. And even Yoda is feeding into that by right. burning of the Jedi temple and talking about, hey, you know, those you know, old Jedi books. Well, you know, not really page turners. They weren't the greatest books in the world. So, you know, maybe it's time to move forward. Michelle. Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And, and kind of going back, I agree. The puppetry was wonderful to see that again. I thought that was great that they utilized that technique. And the same thing that you all were saying in terms of 
what Yoda was talking about. I agree. And I like that he was emphasizing being in the now again, which is something we've heard him say in the past, you know, so I thought all of that was very wonderful. And, you know, the fact that he did say that failure is our best teacher was an important thing to be saying at that moment. Yeah. Completely so my question agree. is, though, the Blue Glowies, do they come when they want to come or when they sense the other person needs help or you mm. can call them when you want I don't think you can call them when you want help because we've seen Luke do that in the past. They're not like you, you know, they appear like the genie. Right. Yeah. I do think though that you talked about the fact that it's strange that you know he hadn't appeared to Luke prior but if Luke had cut himself off from the force I would think that that would be a component of something that would be necessary in order to actually have them visit you. That's I agree true. with that but I mean I'm just maybe at times when he was still being yeah. uh, the, the master of his uh, Jedi Academy the new Jedi Academy mm-hmm. or whatever. Why didn't Obi-Wan? Why didn't Yoda? Maybe they did. Right. For all we know, we don't know. Maybe they did make appearances occasionally. We just don't know. But uh, I'm just curious I actually about I think that. when they merge with the Force, it's kind of like the villages. And they're probably, they've got a lot going on. They've got multiple groups they're part <laughs> of. And- we got Bunko, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's bowling night. That's right. <laughs> anyway, so uh, we get to crate, and it's looking desperate for our heroes. They're trying to uh, mount an attack against this giant First Order staff, but with these ships that are falling apart literally at their feet. And Luke suddenly makes an appearance, and we get one of the most heart wrenching and heart touching moments at the same time mm-hmm. when we see Luke and Leia together talking a little bit about Han talking. And then also I think that it's, it's in many ways. And I know obviously they couldn't have been thinking about this at the time, but also talking about Carrie Fisher right. in that these things don't ever really leave us, you know, right, and right. Uh, it just, it touches my heart every time I see those two together. And I, and it is one thing I regret is that I wish we could have, I, I know how it was difficult to get the, all these classic characters together, mm-hmm. but some moments like that, maybe it makes it more poignant that they were so fleeting, but that moment always strikes me completely. Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I thought it was an important part to what was going to take place with Luke. And it did add that element of heart mm-hmm. right at that moment when mm-hmm. things, all things seemed desperate that you had that you know, tug at your heart, you know, seeing the two of them together. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rob, your thoughts? I've actually got a lot to say about this. I'll try to do it as quickly as possible because there's kind of some underlying factors that play into this whole scene. And the first is the force projection, Mm -hmm. which is something that had been happening with Ray and Kylo kind of throughout the movie is they kept seeing each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I know in the scene in Snoke's throne room, he was claiming that he was the one that linked their minds. My personal theory is that that is actually something that they had done to each other Mm -hmm. when they were kind of getting each other's minds back in the force awakens. Mm -hmm. I don't think Snoke was telling the truth on that matter. I think he was just kind of manipulating it to his own ends, but you know, it had kind of been established that Kylo had said to Ray, you can't be doing this. The effort would kill you. And so they kind of tie in that thought earlier in the film to explain what happens to Lou, but especially once you've seen it, and this is another one of those M night Shyamalan, you know, moments, right? 
where you don't really realize that the first time you watch the film, but after everything plays out and you realize what had actually happened, and then you go back and watch that scene, right. you realize some of the subtleties of how well that was acted out. Mm-hmm. Uh, because when Luke hands Leia the dice from the Millennium Falcon, Han's dice, as their hands touch, her eyes kind of flare a little bit as she realizes that he's not really there. Right. And so I thought that was just amazing how they acted that out. And I really like the end of the film for the most part. I mean, mm-hmm. I like the confrontation between Luke and Kylo. I liked what was going on with Ray and Chewie and the Falcon and everything. They hate um, that really- ship. <laughs> right, right, right. So, you know, there were a couple of minor things uh, about how the end of the film was done that just kind of rang a little weird with me. But for the most part, I thought it was a good ending. And I, mm-hmm. you know, Luke kind of redeeming himself and deciding that he had to do what he could in order to give the resistance a fighting chance worked for me. So I enjoyed that. I, I agree. I, I thought the end of the film was spectacular personally. Again, all the storylines come together, even though they were disjointed throughout the entire of it. They came together, rallied together as a group of heroes all within their roles that they're looking to build into as we move forward and that's the way we finish it. I thought it was very dramatic. I agree with you, Rob. The first time I saw it, I don't know how I didn't see the various things mm. like the footprints. Right. Everybody else is kicking up you know, red, red right. after through the salt there, but uh, we don't see that until we rewatch it after right. realizing that Luke isn't really there. His hair you know, I thought he went to super cuts or something and <laughs> right. got a hair dye and, you know, cut a haircut. Uh, you know, how did we didn't see that? You know, he's... He went to glamour shots yes. and yes. he got the color. <laughs> Plus, he's using the lightsaber right. that Ray and Kylo had just torn in half. Right. So, I mean, so many signs that you just don't recognize. And then when you do realize what's happening, you're like, oh my God, it was right there the whole time. Right, right. So, you know, and then finally, uh, Ray makes the big moment of moving the giant rocks. They escape, they get away. Thanks to Luke. I thought it was a really touching way that he ends up passing. You see him, he comes out as the hero. Mm -hmm. You get the twin sons, even though it's not Tatooine. I just loved that, you know, with the theme playing in the background. I thought it was a beautiful, again, like you said, Robbie, everything in this is a beautifully shot movie. If you didn't like some of the way some of the facts were, some of the storylines, whatever, uh, again, I thought that cinematography wise, it was a beautiful, beautiful film Michelle yeah I totally agree with you on how the ending played out and all those little nuances were so well done uh, and when you go back and rewatch how much you can appreciate it I thought there was one line that Rose said that I thought was very poignant and I'm thinking it's part of the basis of what's going to play out hopefully is when she said we're going to win the war not by fighting what we hate but saving what we love mm-hmm. You know, and that could be people, it could be culture, it could be beliefs. And I thought that was a very important line, Mm -hmm. you know, and it was funny how it was just kind of, a lot of people taking it, took it very literally, especially with the kiss with Finn right, right there. And it's like, right. how could those two love each other, you know, in just a day or two of time? Right. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question, you know, if that mm-hmm. really was true. But I do think that you're right. It was more poignant than that. Right. Even though if you take it superficially, it was just those two together. Right. And kind of getting into real life history and kind of hearing something we heard a couple months ago on TV. And it was Ronald Reagan talking about trying to end up the Cold War and how when you talk about the leaders of these superpowers coming together and always having opposition. But if you just put two common people that 
are coming from these different cultures together in a room over a cup of coffee or something like that, they will find the common ground and they will find the things that they can appreciate in each other and tear down those walls of what separates them. And I think that's kind of the same thing here. Not that you're not going to have the big bads always against something, but how the common people can see within each other what are some of the common goods or what are some of the things that we do all appreciate. Mm, it's a terrific point, and I think that uh, it may also play out in the next film, by the way. So really great point, Michelle. Rob, any thoughts? Again, I the twin sunset or the binary sunset as Luke is kind of fading away, that still gives me chills even when we just talked about right. it. The one thing I will say, and this is another item for kind of to be determined after we see the rise of Skywalker. But one of the things that has not been explained and causes a lot of people issues within the sequel trilogy is the fact that, you know, with Kylo, he was part of Luke's school. He's been trained by Snoke. He has powers that he's earned over times. And with Rey, there's been no visible training of any kind. She supposedly doesn't come from any kind of a particular bloodline that would have incredible Mm. power in the force. And yet she has the ability to do all these things without any real explanation for why. And I think we're going to get that resolved within the rise of Skywalker, but certainly the way that they went about trying to just kind of dismiss her parentage in this film, I think that's complete misdirection. I think that she is tied to someone who's very powerful in the force and we will wait and see if that plays out within the rise of Skywalker or not. But no, I mean, overall, I think that the film was left in an interesting place. I've read some of the books that have kind of come after the film. I think this is another one of those things, though, that when we get to Rise of Skywalker, the resistance is pretty much down to just a, a handful of people aboard the Falcon. And for them to build that up into a force that can take on both the First Order and potentially the resurgent Galactic Empire is going to be very interesting to see how they address that within a two hour and 20 something minute movie and tie that all together. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they do. Yeah, I think we're going to see a a lot of what happens to build this up. And I know that it's not going to be for the rise of Skywalker, where again, we're going directly after the last Jedi. We're going to have some sort of significant time jump between the two of them. And maybe we do get some sort of view and how they've kind of rebuilt the new rebel alliance, the new resistance, whatever the case may be. And as far as uh, race parentage or whatever, I do agree. I do do think that she comes from somewhere there's just too many nuances to right. within this that i think that that has to tie into something however i will say one of the things that they did try and accomplish in this film was to show that look maybe she didn't and that you know that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be tied to this royal bloodline to be a great hero to be a jedi to be a wonderful force wielder and we see that from broom boy stable boy right there at the <laughs> end like right. you know where did he come from is he tied to anybody but he, not necessarily, he's, but he obviously has some ability within the force. And I think that that was a little bit of what they were trying to portray within this film, Michelle. Yeah, I think so. I mean, some of the things that I've heard or read, it seems like the direction that they were trying to take in that concept with Ray is that you have to figure out who you are mm-hmm. based on your own abilities and your own self versus you are tied to someone or something like that. Yeah, I can get that. Totally. So the critical reception for this film, despite some of our takes on it, some 
more or less on how much they like this film. The critical reception was actually really high. 91% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes out of 454 reviews with an average rating of 8.09 out of 10. So the critics liked it. However, we know, and we can see it right here between (laughs) the three of us, that this very much was split within the Star Wars community. And so much so that I believe that people kind of planted in their zones. Like you either really love this movie or you really hated this movie and I'm not saying that that's us I don't think that we fall into that zone but when you see people interact on social media or other regards that it's almost some of the, the divisiveness of it has completely split them to significant sides. And I think this is kind of what we're seeing in our actual community, our world right mm-hmm. now in many regards that people can't be in the middle anywhere anymore. And right. I think that's disappointing. And I think we're seeing that about this film, Michelle. Yeah, I guess you're right. I, or, although I think the one thing is I do think there's a lot of people in the middle. I don't think they're, you know, and this is just getting philosophical about life that they're n- not necessarily the most vocal, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's why you could see with the critical acclaim that it gave it such high ratings that looking at this film. And again, I, I that's what I've said all along today is looking at this film. If I were to rate it, I would rate it high as a f- standalone. Mm-hmm. Rob, any thoughts on all of that? Uh, no, I mean, I completely agree that the vocal people are the people that mm-hmm. tend to feel very strongly about one way or the other. And that like with Michelle's story where she he was referencing Ronald Reagan. I do think that most people, you know, I think we're all a great example of that is that how we feel about a particular movie, we may agree, we may disagree, we may see the merit in each other's arguments, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it sways our opinion. But there's nothing about, I love Star Wars, don't get me wrong, but there's nothing about any movie that I ever watched that is going to be more important to me than relationships and friendships. And again, it's made up stuff, right? So right. I value people far more than I value any particular film or song or whatever you want to get into a intense discussion about right and i everybody sees things differently and like i talked about it's art you know whether you like it or you don't like it uh you can see through it however you want and it's okay i mean that's why my thing about this is like you don't have to like what i like and i don't have to necessarily like what you like or feel the same way about it yet as long as we can sit down and have a good constructive conversation about it at the end of the day everything is good right and you know i mean that's part of this whole Star Wars Remembered series intent is one just kind of recapping and remembering what is leading up to the end of the Skywalker saga but the other thing too is just sharing what feelings I mean we all have things going on in our lives so when we see a film or see like you're saying a piece of art it's what you're bringing to that experience at that moment but I think too that we get to see some of the things as we're talking knowing what we know up till now is something that we can say oh yeah we didn't notice the first time going around what the reaction would Leia to Luke Mm -hmm. when she saw him and things like that those little nuances that are certainly something wonderful to appreciate about a film I want to talk about that just for a second here. The first time we saw this film was really interesting because, and this is all on me because I'm a dummy, uh, but w- we went to a theater that was kind of near Michelle's work, which isn't necessarily near where we live. And I was traveling down to go meet her and we had some terrible traffic. She was at a restaurant waiting for me. I had terrible traffic. I had some issues with GPS, 
put me in the wrong direction. We weren't sure we were going to make the theater in time. So she grabs food from the restaurant, takes it with us. We get to the parking lot. We have to eat it quickly in the parking lot. Then get into this film. And there's lines to get in. So like we were already struggling. Oh, and when we got there, we had to go to a different place. Even though we had tickets, they wanted us to get some other ticket for the seat thing. It was strange. It was really weird. So we were struggling already to kind of get (laughs) into this film. And then we get into this film and then all our heroes are struggling throughout it. So it was kind of like this this weird night that kind of set us in a weird position to begin with. Even though I enjoyed the film, you know, we were just kind of in a weird mode when we walked out of that film because of it was just a night of struggle. So it was just kind of funny. But anyway, here's the way I personally look at this film. I really like it. I don't think it's it's not my top film. It's not in my bottom films. It's somewhere kind of in the middle of Star Wars films mm-hmm. to me. Uh, so again, people are somewhere, uh, seem to be on either side. It's either the worst Star Wars film ever made or it's the best Star Wars film ever made. I do not believe either is true. First time I saw it, I really enjoyed it. The viewings after that, I've kind of, you know, not completely picked it apart, but there are some parts that we've discussed here right. that I didn't like quite as much. But overall, I enjoyed the film. Michelle. Yeah. Any thoughts? Uh, I know you've already said so much that you've liked it as an individual yeah, film, just right, not right. sure within yeah. the series. Sure, sure. And and I think that's, you know, really where I left at. You know, if I was going to be watching Disney Plus and put on a Star Wars film, mm-hmm. this wouldn't be in my top selections for it. sure. There are some things in that film that I truly love and cherish. One of the high points is obviously the Luke and Leia interaction. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's some wonderful things. There's some cool things. Some of the comedy, like Rob said, some of it really did work. And so yeah, it was a good film. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just as a Star Wars film, it wouldn't be the favorite, but that doesn't mean it's bad or mm-hmm. that I dislike it. Gotcha. I understand. Uh, Rob, obviously we know that you're not a big fan of this film. Where does it lie within the whole oeuvre I know you like it when I say oeuvre of uh, Star Wars films to you. It's definitely in my bottom third, I would say, Uh, at least in terms of like the Skywalker trilogy. It's less that it's just an abysmal film or anything like that. It's just that there's a lot of Star Wars films that I'm drawn to kind of ahead of that. Mm hmm. And I get that. So I think we're kind of across the board. I like it a little more. Rob likes it a little less. Michelle's kind of even more in the middle than we are. But I think we're we're all in the middle somewhere. We're not completely hating it or completely loving it. We're just kind of in the middle somewhere. I'm not one of those people who it's like, um, I didn't like this, so I'm never going to watch Star Wars again. I think right. that that's yeah. just such an extreme standpoint to take. And um, I would argue that if that's how you feel about something, then you probably never loved it that much in the right. first place. Exactly. It's just like anything. There's going to be things that you enjoy more, things that you enjoy less. And a lot of that is kind of what you bring to the table. And my feelings on this film may completely change based on what I learn within the Rise of Skywalker. If there's some context for why things work the way they did in this film that I just didn't have at the time, then I'm open to going back and kind of reassessing things and saying, well, based on what I know now that, okay, this isn't an issue that I have with this particular film. So they can retcon me back into line and that's why I go. <laughs> there you go. And that's what I'm saying. I think the legacy of this film is going to depend a lot on what happens within the rise of Skywalker personally. So. But kind of circling back to the beginning of today is one of the things that you said you felt like you were going to be on an island and I hope you don't feel that way anymore. Oh, I was I more joking than anything uh, okay. else. You, you, I love both of you, you know, in many regards, you know, I I knew that you guys would be kind to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, no like I that. didn't really I think. think we're think, honest. No, no, I. That's it. I. 
I think that we can have a, a real conversation about this. If I was afraid that I was just going to be here and we were going to be fighting for an hour and a half or whatever, however long this episode is, then I wouldn't want to do this episode. There'd be no point to it. I mean, it just doesn't, that's no one wants to hear that, but I felt like we can have a real conversation about that. And I think that's what more people need to be able to do out there in the world as we've already right. discussed. And so that's, you know, it was more of a joke than anything else. Yeah. You know? and- like you said, you control all the mics. That's right. I do. <laughs> but I mean, I think that, you know, Rob was saying something too that I thought was pretty important. We're dialoguing. We're not trying to convince each other of why our point is right. And, right. and I think that's part of any kind of, whether you're talking art or films or plays or whatever, it's just you're sharing your own personal senses and experiences. Right. I mean, there's nothing wrong with trying to say, hey, you know, this is why I like it. Have you thought about that? But that doesn't mean that somebody has to like that for the same reasons you do. Everybody's different. We are all different human beings. We all like different stuff. You know, I may love something that Michelle just kind of likes or maybe she doesn't even like it at all. Who knows? It doesn't matter. We still love one another. And Rob, we disagree on many things, but we still can have a a wonderful conversation about it all at the end of the day. And I think that's one thing. I mean, we've gotten feedback about that. We've done some shows on Jedi Temple Archives podcast where we don't necessarily agree on every point we're talking about. I think it makes for more interesting content. And I think that listeners enjoy hearing people who can have different opinions on things and still be able to express it in a friendly way. I mean, there's not enough of it in the world as far no, as I'm concerned. Exactly. Not at all. Not right now. And we need more of that for sure. So I don't know. Do you guys have any, we, we really went long in this episode because I think there was so much to discuss <laughs> as far as this, but do you have any quick fun facts you guys want to get to? I just, I mean, there were some really cool little tidbits. The fact that the S-foil from Luke's X-Wing was mm-hmm. acting as his door in that hut on Octo. Right. And one of the other ones that I really enjoyed was that when they do the flash flashback both from Luke and Kylo's standpoint to the confrontation between the two of them that led to Kylo pulling the hut down on him when they show the little bedside table in Kylo's hut you can see the compass which is part mm-hmm. of Battlefront 2 mm-hmm. one of the storylines from that and then you can see Kylo's Jedi lightsaber which is actually the same lightsaber he's using he just adds the cross guard to it for his mm-hmm. Sith lightsaber so there were just some kind of cool little nods to items that you know, we're part of the Star Wars universe that maybe not a lot of people know about, but it's still fun little uh, tidbits in there. Very right. cool. Yeah. I've got one fun fact I just want to drop in and I just want to give Kelly Marie Tran some love because we've talked about it many times that mm-hmm. she's got this vitriol that I don't believe she deserves, but I think that she's seems to be just a fun loving, great human being. And again, if you don't like a character, if you don't like a storyline, fine, but please leave the actors alone. You know, every, all of you would give your left arm to play a role right. in Star Wars, even if it was hated. So please just lay off of them a little bit. Anyway, I just thought this was cute. She didn't want anyone to know about her role in the movie before filming had wrapped. So she told her family that she, while she was filming this indie film in Canada during this whole time. <laughs> and she even went as far as to bring her family maple syrup to convince them that she had been in Canada this whole time. So I just thought that was very cute. I think Kelly right. Marie Tran is cute. And I thought that was kind of an awesome little Yeah, tidbit. that is cute. Anyway, so uh, that's it for our Star Wars Remembered series. It's been a fun several months going through this with all of you. Rob, I just want to know quickly, what are you hoping for 
from the rise of Skywalker as we lead into it this week? I mean, for me, it, it like I said before, it's all about the story. So I just want a good story. I don't necessarily have any expectations in terms of specifically how it goes down, but you know, the more that they can build up, especially if it's things that are consistent with what we've seen in the past and kind of bring the entire story. I know that they've said that this is going to really be something that's going to draw from all eight previous films and really tie together a lot of things that have happened in there and explain a lot of things that happened in those films. It's going to make it a lot more fun to go back and watch those films in the context of however this plays out. So just looking forward to uh, seeing how they wrap up the whole Skywalker saga. Yeah, me too. Michelle, your thoughts? Yeah, I I think very much the same. Anxious to see how they're going to wrap things up. You've talked about how Rogue One is one of my favorite films and I love how that really tied in a lot of things. I also like that throughout they've been very respectful of the original trilogies and so I'm looking forward to seeing how they continue that as they end the Skywalker saga, mm-hmm. but still, obviously, Star Wars is going to exist on. Yes, yes, it will. And uh, some thing, great things are happening out there in the Star Wars universe right now. As for me, uh, I think it's going to be all about one thing, balance, balance, balance. Uh, it's going to be all about balance within the Force to me. I think that's what's going to play out within the rise of Skywalker so much. I think we've been talking about it for so long within the Star Wars universe, and mm-hmm. I think it's really going to come to play, come at the end. I Again, I'm just looking for a good story, just like you, Rob. Let the storytellers tell their story. No matter what we have discussed on the Jedi Temple Archives podcast, no matter what we've discussed here on the Hyperion Adventures podcast, as far as speculation in regard to any characters and what they may develop and being, I just am hoping for a good story. And I love to follow and see what the story, let the storytellers tell their story. It's going to be an exciting week. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, it's always an exciting week on the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. Oh, it's been more bi-weekly recently. And I finally have made another appearance back on it. Thank goodness. It's been so long since I've been away having to do other things. You've had guests on or whatever, but they've always still been great episodes. Rob, please tell all our listeners how they can listen to the Jedi Temple Archives podcast and how they can follow you on social media. Yeah. uh, So basically you can find us on pretty much any podcast platform that you like to listen on or at our website at jtapodcast.com. You can reach us via email at jtapodcast at gmail.com and you can find us on Pinterest, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at JTA Podcast. So uh, look forward to hopefully hearing from some of you folks out there. Feel free to drop a line with anything you'd like to hear about on the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. Very good. It's a great show. It's the Star Wars podcast (laughs) that doesn't make you feel like a jerk. It's and a great podcast. It is a great is. show. It's a great show. I'm not saying that because I'm on it occasionally, but it, it is a great show. And uh, people, if you haven't tried it out, you should. If you're a Star Wars fan, you'll love the show. I, I find that it, it's certainly a wonderful podcast or interesting podcast for any level of Star Wars fan. But for somebody like me who may not have really gotten into a lot of the details or backstory in the past love hearing about that now so I can really appreciate things so much more yeah definitely uh, if you're a huge Star Wars fan know everything or have read the books know all the backstory seen all the series you'll get something out of it if you've only seen the films it will help enhance your enjoyment of the Star Wars universe uh, I really appreciate what Rob's doing with this show Rob uh, you're doing a great job thank you and I appreciate you guys coming on and joining me once in a while especially Tom he gets on far more than most but looking forward to having you back on and getting back into some of our conversations so so definitely thank you guys so much. So thanks again to Rob Liberia, the Jedi Temple Archives podcast always brings so much insight to these, even though we don't necessarily agree all three of us on The Last Jedi. It was a 
good civil conversation, which I think more of us need to have about Star Wars and sometimes, especially on social media. Right. And, you know, I mean, even though there's some parts of a film that may not be as likable as other parts, you know, there's still that fan enthusiasm for the movies. And it's interesting having these dialogues because it really puts some different perspectives than what I personally had on some of the yeah, elements. Everybody has their own viewpoint of it. It's art, like I've talked about in this segment of many times. So you see things differently, you interpret things differently. And I think we all interpreted that film a little bit differently right. for good or bad. Right. But uh, we all can sit down and have a good conversation about it, which is, I, I think, important in our world for many topics now, including Star Wars, for sure. Correct. Yes. So let's get to our Disney stories of the week. We went so long in that segment, we're going to just rip through these Disney stories really quickly. Uh, we now know when Disneyland's new parade will be debuting. That's mm. exciting. We talked a little bit about it last right. week. Yeah. Disney Parks, this is from the Disney Parks blog, the all-new Magic Happens Parade will make its debut at Disneyland Park beginning on February 28th, 2020. That's going to be fun. Yeah. Can't uh, wait. You know, and I, I kind of hemmed and hawed about it. Right. When we talked about it in that segment uh, last week. But, you know, I'm still kind of excited to see it. And as much as I'm not necessarily a parade person, I, w- I always want to experience these from this for myself and, and, and judge and see if it will become a fan favorite, a favorite of mine or not. And so, uh, the, you know, the cool thing about it is that, you know, they have this great new music that's coming from Tom. Uh, Roderick Hall, they have all sorts of floats that are dedicated to some of the newer Disney right. films, which I don't think we've touched on a lot, like Frozen 2, Moana, and Coco. Yeah. And then the floats, at least the artwork for the floats, looks beautiful. I'm looking forward to seeing them in person. Right. And kind of like you just mentioned with the music, it's always fun to hear the music that they place with the new parade. So I'm looking forward to yeah, it. Yeah. So I'm sure we will go and check it out. And then I'll judge for myself if I continue to want to go see it again but i will want to see it at least once for right. sure and like i said in the last segment um when we talked about this the nighttime parades are a little bit more exciting i think but you know let's give this one a chance yeah well, I'll, I'll give it a chance. I'll give All it a right. shot. Like I said, cool. uh, I'm not a parade it. person, but I will <laughs> give it a shot. Uh, moving on. One of the most popular spots at Disney's Beach Club Resort is about to reopen. Again, from the Disney Parks, Parks blog. Uh, bring out the spoons and get ready to return to one of the most popular restaurants <laughs> yeah. at the Walt Disney World Resort. That's right. Beaches and Cream Yay. Soda Shop is set to reopen at Disney's Beach Club Resort on December 26, 2019, <laughs> of course, just a couple days right. after we'll be leaving the Walt Disney World Resort. But uh, happy to see it reopening. And, uh, you know, it, depending on what I know, we, everybody liked it because it was kind of a quaint little spot. But now it's going to be a little bit larger and it's going to open up things so more people get to experience this because it, you know, it was tough to right. get into before. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, this I th- I agree with you. I mean, I uh, I understand where people like, you know, the traditional restaurant and how quaint it was. Um, but it is really popular and especially that fact that it's opening during like the busiest week of the year. It's good that they're going to have more space. Right. And especially when just reopening, it's going to be the oh, they reopened. Let's get down there right. and everything. And I actually have never speak I, I never <laughs> Been able to visit Beaches and Cream. Oh, yet. wow. So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to out. it at some point, uh, checking it out. Uh, so it'll, it'll, it, you know, no matter what you thought of the original one, it's all new to me. So I'll enjoy it <laughs> one way or the other, whether you like the earlier version of it or whether you like how it will be now is reimagined slightly. Right. 
Well, that's it. Like I said, it was going to be a quick Disney story segment because we went so long talking about The Last Jedi and it, with really good reason for it. We right. really need to kind of get in, delve into that so much. However, we never leave you without giving you some sort of tip that might help you on your next vacation, whether it be to the parks, the D- Disney Cruise Line, Run Disney, whatever the case may be. And we always start with Michelle because she always has the best <laughs> tip. So let's get right to it. Here is Michelle's tip of the week. Well, I actually, as we were talking, and it was going on kind of longer than we expected with our dialogue, which was great. And thanks again to Rob. Um, I'll keep this one short and I'll save the other one for another time. Um, One of my favorite tips that I like to remind people is to look up. Mm -hmm. And um, why am I getting emotional? Uh, (laughs) Because it's a great tip. (laughs) It may be just a little tip, but it's an important tip. I really believe so. I think it's just all the excitement. And Michelle always has the best tips. Her look up may be her very best tip. Yeah, I think it is a great tip. I'm not trying to tout anything, but I just, I think it's an important tip because I do think that with so much that goes on, whether you're talking about the parks or uh, cruise or even just going to the resorts, and you just get so wrapped up in, you know, what, what your plans are, attractions, dining, whatever. And you, in, sometimes it's really easy to get lost and not really appreciate all the things that they have there. Whether it's seasonal like right now and some wonderful things, you look up and you're going to see things on the upper parts of the buildings that you really might not notice walking through. But even just other times of the year, it's just, it's, it's always, they always have beauty at any of the Disney resorts. So Mm -hmm. look up and appreciate all that they they put there for you because otherwise it's, you know, you'll miss out. Mm -hmm. You know, we've been watching all on Disney Plus, the Imagineering story, and everybody's loved the Imagineering story. And it's true, the Imagineers have done so much to build this very immersive, creative, expansive world in all the Disney parks. And there's so much out there, especially like now at the holiday season, but any time of year. Uh, there's so much you miss if you just kind of keep tunnel vision, if you just go to the next attraction or the next restaurant, whatever, right. and don't take a look around, see what's in the windows and see what's around you. Take in your surroundings. That's why I think the, uh, Michelle's tips are always the best, but her lookup <laughs> tip is brilliant in its simplicity. It is just Aww, so you, very good. And Michelle always has the best tips and that is the best <laughs> of the best of her tips. Thank, Thank you, Michelle. You. My tip is really, really simple and quick. Look, We have a new Star Wars movie coming out. We know how the Star Wars community has been divided. People just take the movie in. And no matter what you feel about it, can we just have a good conversation about it? If you love it, great. If you don't like it, whatever. Can you listen to what the other person has to say and not just shut them out and not just say you're awful because you think differently than I do? Uh, everybody has their own viewpoints. Everybody has their own impressions of films, of art, whatever the case may be. But we can all agree at the end of the day, we are human beings who, you know, we should all love one another and can agree to disagree at times. That's right. And, you know, it, it's it's been amazing run with the Skywalker saga of how many generations and how many, you know, people have really become aware of this phenomenon and love it and yes there are some parts of it we don't love but we all love it and that's 
that's community, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I'm hoping that this is the movie that brings everybody together. I don't see that necessarily happening because I just think it's so divided now. But let's just be civil to everybody. We had a civil conversation about a film we didn't all agree on today. Uh, Can we just continue that uh, going forward through everybody on social media and throughout every topic, not just Star Wars? I'd love to see more of that. That's right. So, yeah. That's it for this week. Next week, yes, we will be at the Walt Disney World Resort and we will be giving you our spoiler-free review of Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker and we'll be recapping the first part of our Walt Disney World vacation, including Disney's Riviera Resort. We'll give you the rundown on that and that we will be staying there and recording there uh, while we're doing that next episode. Yeah, and it's going to be so much fun. We're trying out some of the food there and actually checking out a couple different types of rooms. Yeah, so we'll have a lot to talk about when we get to the episode next Sunday. We appreciate that you joined us today. In the future, you can find us most everywhere you get podcasts. Wherever the best place to find us is on our own website, HyperionAdventuresPodcast.com. And while you're there, please just take a second and sign up for our newsletter. Right, and we always, always really appreciate any reviews, any ratings. And most of all, we really appreciate when you tell a friend or a family member about our podcast. Exactly. And you can also follow us on social media if you want to interact with us for any reason, including, say, you, you like the show, you would like some other things to be better about the show, there's a topic I'd like you to cover, whatever the case may be, on social media or on Twitter, at Hyperion Podcast, Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest, at Hyperion Adventures Podcast. And if you just want to simply email us, we have our own email address at HyperionAdventuresPodcast at gmail.com. I think you've summed it up nicely. Thank you. And again, this episode's run really long, so <laughs> we're wrapping it up right here. Thank you for listening to the Hyperion Adventures Podcast. We look forward to sharing some time with you again next week from the Walt Disney World Resort. <laughs> Until that time, I'm Tom. I'm Michelle. And we hope that you have a magical week.